Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Good morning, Church 214. How's everyone doing? Awesome. I'm doing well. It's a great morning in the house, isn't it? Hey, so it's week three here at 307 Oak. How many of you are loving this house that God gave us? I'm loving this space. You know, I've got to be honest and say that in more than 20 years of ministry, these three weeks have been my favorite Sundays. And it actually has nothing to do with a building, um, but it's because this place represents something so incredible in this city now. It is proof that God is at work doing incredible things in and through Church 214. That's each one of you as we partner together to see what God wants to bring to this heart of this city. See, we're no longer hidden in a back corner of a city where no one knows us or has heard of us. We have literally entered the heartland. We've literally taken new ground. And I don't know if you know this, but decades ago, there was prophecy spoken over Peoria, Illinois, saying that revival would start in the heart of the nation, in the heart of America, and that revival would begin right here in Peoria, Illinois. And how incredibly exciting to live in a time in history where we are seeing that happen right here, right now. So this actual building, this exact building, was once an adult club. It was a space for sinning. But God, in his incredible power, has restored it, and it is now a sanctuary for the saints. It's a hospital for the hurting. This is a place of praise now. This is a place to bring God honor, and that is something incredible to celebrate. God has breathed so much joy and life into this place. If you've been here over the last three weeks and you have not felt the joy of Jesus, if your heart hasn't felt happy, I'm going to challenge you. You need to check your pulse. Turn to your neighbor right now and say to them, check your pulse. All right, now turn to your second choice and say to them, God is about to revive all of us in this place. Friends, I'm telling you, if you've not at least swayed during worship, if you haven't at least whispered even a quiet amen when the preachers have been up here giving you fire, I have bad news for you. You may be spiritually dead. You know why? Because God has been all up in here doing 10,000 things at once, and it has been absolute fire. And I know some of us have been here for it. You might be here today because a friend promised you lunch after church. Can we just acknowledge the power of chips and salsa? Amen. I've led some people to Jesus over chips and salsa. You know, for some of you here today, it might be odd that you're here because you're not really the church-going type. But I believe that God has a very specific reason that he brought you here today, and I personally am so glad that you are here. As I prayed about what God wanted to share this week, I clearly felt God's spirit give me a word for all of us. You know, and I really prefer it when God's spirit gives me um, words that are fun to deliver, words that are 
um, exciting, words that I wake up feeling so eager to give. And I'll be honest and say, this isn't really one of those words. Um, But I promised God's spirit a long time ago that when he gave me a message, I would deliver it exactly as he gave it to me. And so I'm going to be obedient and do that. And what I heard him tell me was this. He said, you are dead spiritually as if a pile of dry old bones. And then he said, tell the dry bones to come back to life. And I know that's not great news to hear, especially if that's hitting your heart right now and you know in your spirit that that word is for you. That can feel heavy. And I want you to know that feels heavy to have to deliver. But here's the good news. God's word says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is within me. And if you're a believer in Jesus, it is within you. And so we can deal with a word like that. Amen? And here is the good news. God is in the business of breathing life into dry bones. See, God has been reviving life for a very long time. I believe fully that some are here today and you are spiritually dead, but you are coming back to life today in the name of Jesus. Your spirit is being reunited with the truth of who he is. And it is not just people who do not yet know Jesus. This word is for the believers of Jesus also. You know, I want to ask you something. I want a show of hands. How many of you have felt a heaviness in the last 18 to 20 months in your spirit, just a heaviness. You know what? I want to prophesy that many here today are receiving the breath of God's spirit within you even now. And the oppression that has been hanging over this region and this nation and this season, like a soggy, wet blanket, just dripping negativity and conflict over the atmosphere, over relationships, this is being removed right now in the name of Jesus. We do not have to put up with this oppression any longer. And so as we are coming back to life by the, by the Holy Spirit working in this place, we are going to rejoice at the reconciliation of people to God's heart. And that's you and that's me. Now, Chris uh, spoke two weeks ago about how God breathed life into Adam, the very first human being. He sets the example. You know, he speaks everything else into existence, but then he gets so intimate and personal with Adam, and he breathes life into Adam. I love that story. I love that picture that it paints of the Father God taking it so personal on his creation of his sons and daughters. And then there's this crazy Old Testament story. It's about a pile of dry bones coming back to life. This is not on the media today. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to picture what this would look like if you were alongside this Old Testament prophet as God is showing him this visual. So I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to picture this happening. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground, and they were completely dried out. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? Oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. And then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. 
This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscle on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. And suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then, as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones and then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. And then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies, and they all came to life, and they stood up on their feet, a great army. And church, what I want to tell you today, if God can raise to physical life a pile of dry dead bones and make them a great army, he for sure can raise you to life spiritually. If you need to feel the power of God's breath within your body and in your spirit, I want you to rise to your feet right now, signifying a great army. Come on, get up. I want you to get up on your feet because we are going to show the enemy that he does not get to give us oppression any longer. We are a great army in the name of Jesus, and we are breaking off every demonic spirit of heaviness, and we are putting on the garment of praise. We are sons and daughters of Jesus. We will not let the enemy defeat us in Jesus' name. Church, this is week three of our series, Trinity. If you missed the first two weeks, I would ask you, please go to the podcast. Listen to week one as Chris shares about the Father God. Listen to week two as Heather shares about Jesus the Son. They were so profound and incredible. And as someone who's known... Um, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit of God my entire life, I can tell you I learned things in both of those messages that have made me a better Christ follower. So this is the third and final week of the series, and today completes the Trinity. Now the Trinity signifies the three figures that we know as God the Father, Jesus the Son, and what we refer to as Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of God. And Heather told us last week that people get a little squirmy when the name of Jesus is mentioned, and she's right, they do. You know, you can talk about God for the most part. That tends to be fine-ish. Jesus, ah, uh, that's getting pretty personal, a little too intense for most people. But Holy Spirit, no, just no. That's a hard no for most people. Do you know that is the fastest way to lose friends? remove followers, you talk about Holy Spirit, they are gone. Many people are so uncomfortable with the topic of God's Holy Spirit that we've actually given him a label. Do you know what it is? Some of you do. We call him the Holy Spirit. Imagine if we referred to each other like that. This is my husband, the Kip. This is our worship director, the Phil. Hey, how you doing, the Holly? So weird. 
But we do this with Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's not the God. We don't say the Jesus, but we say the Holy Spirit. And I think it's because it takes the personal out of it for us. See, it creates this space between us and whatever it is the Holy Spirit does. You know you've done it. You've walked with Jesus for 20 years, and you still put that little the in there just as a way to keep this unknown of God's Spirit at arm's length. I think so often we just aren't sure what to do with the idea of a spiritual force we cannot see, even as followers of Jesus. You know, you might have known Jesus for decades, and yet somehow the idea of God's Holy Spirit still wigs you out. I believe it's because we have simply have not taken the initiative to discover the power of Holy Spirit work within us and around us. Now, I want to tell you about a time when I was little. I was probably about five or six years old, and I was absolutely terrified of a few ladies at church because they seemed really old and really weird. And I'm going to be real with you. Many of them were really old, and most of them were very weird. Um, not, not everyone in the church was. Uh, they were probably much younger than my six-year-old brain thought they were, but in my mind, they were ancient. They were, like, about ready to die. They were probably 50. Um, no, they were... My sister is telling me they were much older than that. Okay. Um, but I clearly recall the first time hearing someone get up and speak at church about God's Holy Spirit. And we had talked about this in our home a lot, so I really knew the concept. But I was maybe six years old, and this huge old lady with hair that reached into the sky, it just like swayed when she walked. It was so tall, her hair. She gets up and she's talking about Holy Spirit. And she says that if God's power was on you, that when you were prayed over, you would be slain in the Spirit, which I had no idea what that meant. And she said you would speak in tongues. Now, although I had heard the term, I did not know what speak in tongues meant. So very simply put, for those of you here today or listening on the podcast, to be slain in the Spirit, it is a, uh, a spiritual term. It's a, a term you might hear Christians talk about. It simply means that you experience the power of God so overwhelm you, so overtake you, that you experience a different state of consciousness. And many people actually will fall over and like appear to be sleeping. It's not a demonic thing. It's, um, it, it's, a, it's a biblical thing. But to speak in tongues means to use the language that's gifted to you by God. Now, this event took a huge turn for the worse when she told all the kids in the church to come to the front because she was going to pray for us to receive God's Holy Spirit. And I was the first, um, I was the third born of five kids at the time, and my older siblings were very obedient, and they got up and they were going to the front, so I very begrudgingly followed suit, and I'm telling you, I was not happy about it. So this strange lady she begins to ramble these words over this line of kids, not in English. And then whenever a kid didn't get slain in the spirit, as she said, she would just push them over. Not cool. This lady was crazy. So I'm standing there because no one has told me the rules of her weird game. I thought eventually she would explain in English what she wanted us to do. And I'm waiting for that explanation in English. 
It was very confusing. So she gets to me. She puts her hand on my forehead. She begins rambling these weird words over me, and I I don't fall over. So she sort of glares at me, and then she moves on. And I'm just standing there, still waiting for the English words to kick in. Now, by this point, I don't think I'm the only kid that is 100% distracted by her very weird here, by the fact that her perfume smells terrible and her rambling words. So she finally starts to speak in English again, which would have been very helpful from the start. And she comes to me and she says, someday, God's Holy Spirit will come upon you. Do you know that 33 years later, I still think about how truly weird that old lady was and how off-putting her example of receiving God's Spirit was to me as a child. I think many people have a feeling of being uncomfortable about God's Holy Spirit because people have made him out to be weird. When in fact... It's just that many people are weird. Come on. If you don't know someone who's weird, it might be you. Okay, joking, joking. But if you're in that camp where you think people who talk about God's Holy Spirit are weird, you simply have not experienced his power in a genuine way. You've maybe experienced their weird rendition of who people think he is. Maybe you've experienced people bringing attention to themselves and what they want God to do, like that lady in my church as a kid. Maybe she was seeking approval of man. Maybe she wanted all of the adults in the room um, to think her really godly and holy when they saw her be able to, you know, pray for these kids and have them be slain in the spirit. But I want to encourage you today. God's Holy Spirit is far from weird. It is the most powerful force you will ever experience, the most powerful relationship you will ever experience in your lifetime. And today, I'd like to invite you into this conversation about who God's Holy Spirit is, who he is to me personally, the ways he works in my life daily, and how he wants to influence your life also. So we're going to start at the beginning where God's Spirit first is mentioned. Chris read this on week one of the Trinity series, but I want to read it again because it's so important. Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So you see, the Spirit of God has always been. Now, throughout the Bible, people would hear the voice of God speak. They did not always know that it was God's Spirit, and they did not know to call it Holy Spirit, but that's what it was. Later in the book of Acts, humans, Jesus' disciples actually, first encounter God's Holy Spirit in this remarkable way, and we're going to read about it. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. You know we love this passage. You'll find out later why if you don't know why. But Acts chapter 2, let's start in verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. 
And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Now, the text goes on to list the 15 nations that were represented there that day. We're going to skip down, starting in verse 11. And we all hear these people speaking in our own language and about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. So here we have the first written account of humans experiencing the power of God coming on them in a way that other people can notice. And it's amazing that the Holy Spirit allows people to speak languages they've never learned. Can you imagine that? Carson, can you imagine if in your college classes this year, you opt out of a foreign language? Because you did high school, you fulfilled that, and it was not for you. And then suddenly, about a month into college, you can suddenly speak this foreign language that this kid in your class you met knew how to speak, but you've never learned. Wouldn't that be crazy? That's what happened. All these people who grew up in this area of Palestine, who were uneducated, suddenly could speak these foreign languages. That is where we get the idea of speaking in tongues. We're going to chat more on that in a little bit. But I want to assure you that if God's spirit is working in you and through you, people will think you're crazy. I'm not talking like crazy, like that old lady that was crazy. She was crazy. I'm talking like people will judge you because of the way you live your life. People will judge you because of the way you um, make decisions, because of jobs you take or do not take. Friends you do or do not keep acquaintance with. People will judge you. They were doing it from the first time the Holy Spirit came upon a group of believers. So let's talk about what was going on here in Acts, in Acts 2. So 15 nations are gathered in this place because it's Pentecost. Now, what is Pentecost? I'm going to tell you. Many of us think of it as the day that the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. That is the day that that happened. But that was not the first Pentecost. So Pentecost had actually been being celebrated for many thousands of years leading up to that date, okay? Um, Pentecost was actually just a regular Old Testament festival that the Jews had been celebrating for a long time. So in the time of Moses, there were several festivals. They liked to party back then. They would have festival upon festival upon festival, you know, here in this area, like the Morton Puff Pumpkin Festival comes once a year. That's about it. Tremont, every now and then. But they were all had festivals all the time. And so uh, the festival of Passover was actually the first one in the Jewish calendar. Now, many of you probably know this, but in case you don't, the Passover was a celebration because back when they were in slavery... And Pharaoh was avoiding God and refusing to obey Moses. And so God was sending plague after plague after plague. Give me a nod if you know the story. Yes. Okay. Then Pharaoh's hard-hearted and stubborn. And so he says, God says, 
the spirit of death is going to pass over Egypt, and every firstborn male is going to die. But he gives God's people an out. And he says, my people, if you sacrifice a lamb and take the fresh blood of that sacrifice and put it over your doorposts, when the angel of death passes over the city, the angel of death will pass over your home and your firstborn males will live. Now, this is significant. Like, in my family alone, that would have been my father dying, my brother dying, my husband dying, my son dying, my brother-in-law dying, many of my closest friends dying. This would have been a significant loss to the people of God. But God gives them a way out. And so from then on, they have a festival to celebrate the Passover. Every year, they celebrate that God's angel of death passed over their family's home and gifted them life. Something to celebrate. Amen? Yeah. Exactly 50 days after Passover Sunday, the Jews would celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. Now, I know, big words, weird words. But they'd been doing this for 1,500 years by the time the event in Acts took place. This was a big deal. It'd be like something massive happening on Christmas, like we're all there to celebrate. So let's talk about the significance of Pentecost. This is how Pentecost was to be celebrated according to the law. Leviticus 23, 16. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, which was Passover, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord from wherever you live. Bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah, of the finest flour baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Everyone say first fruits. Y'all sound real excited about first fruits. Numbers 28, 26. On the day of first fruits, when you present to the Lord an offering of new grain during the festival of Pentecost, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. So in the Jewish feast of Pentecost, the Jews were to offer up new grain along with their sacrifice of burnt offerings from the land, from their work. It was to be the first crop of new grain that they would offer up. You guys get it? Okay. I think that it is so fitting and interesting. Pentecost is also referred to as the first, uh, as the feast of first fruits and also the Feast of Harvest. So we have first fruits and harvest. And just how interesting and fitting that this day was chosen as the first fruits of the harvest for the gospel to go to the nations. Fifteen nations represented when the Holy Spirit shows up and the disciples step into spreading the gospel, sharing the word of God. This is significant. Now, in John 16, Jesus had spoken of the coming era of the Holy Spirit. He had given the disciples a prompting that something was coming. And now, in this inauguration, this mighty, magnificent, miraculous example, Jesus' words are fulfilled and God's Spirit falls in a mighty way. This is a public proclamation that Jesus was who he said he was. So there had been 50 days of silence, really, since Jesus' death and then resurrection and then his ascension into heaven. And then there was some quiet days there where the disciples were, the disciples were told, just hang out in the city and wait. And so they're waiting. 
I mean, that would have been terrifying. Can you imagine if God gave you this word and then he told you, like, I got to go because someone better than me is coming to be with you? You just hang out here until it comes. Can you imagine if I told you that? Hey, guys, we need you all to hang here for the next few days. God's sending a gift and we're just going to wait on it. I bet most of us would bail. Acts 1, 4 through 5, Jesus said, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the apostles are completely under the control of the Holy Spirit. And then the Spirit speaks through them in languages they've never learned. So, speaking in tongues. Let's talk about this. Speaking in tongues is a Christian way of talking about the language God gives people. A lot of people misuse it, and a lot of people misunderstand it, and a lot of people think it's very crazy and scary. It can be all of the above. But, like any spiritual gift, it needs to be stewarded well and correctly in order for it to actually reach people and make sense. This is a controversial topic. And so I was thinking through, Lord, how do you want me to share my conviction on this? And I felt like he said, just read right out of my word. So we're going to do that. There, um, people think when you are gifted with the power of the Holy Spirit, you have these only primary gifts. They usually think that you can prophesy, that you can hear from God and speak for God, which can be true. And that you can speak in tongues, which is speak a language you've never learned, which can also be true. Those are two of the main gifts people think of. So let's read about those in 1 Corinthians 14. This is a lot of text, so be vigilant to stay connected to what God's saying here. This is for all of us. Let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy for if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. That's important. If you're going to prophesy, it needs to strengthen others, encourage them, and comfort them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Verse 5, I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. Dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you and speak in an unknown language, would that be helpful to you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. Even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp must be played must play the notes clearly or no one will recognize the melody. It's the same for you. If you speak to people in words they don't understand, how will they know what you are saying? You might as well be talking into empty space. For there are many different languages in the world and every language has meaning. But if I don't understand a language, I will be a foreigner to someone who speaks it and the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. And the same is true for you. Since you are so eager to have the special abilities the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said. That was what was missing that day when that lady was speaking in tongues over me. Just confusion and no interpretation of what God wanted 
to accomplish in us that day. Well then, what should I do? I will pray in the spirit and I will pray in words I understand. I will sing in the spirit and I will sing in words, in words I understand. For if you praise God only in the spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you are saying? You will be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. Hang on, we've got a few more left. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. He was very confident. But in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding matters of this kind. It is written in the scriptures, I will speak to my own people through strange language and through the lips of foreigners, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So you will see that speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you are crazy. But if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring, God is truly here among you. And so my main takeaway reading that passage was that it's pretty clear. The ability to speak in tongues is a gift from God. And it's something that we can ask for and we can receive. It is a good thing. But its main purpose is to be able to prove to non-believers that the Spirit of God is within us because we're able to then say things we would not otherwise know or understand. Does that make sense? Okay. It is for reaching people who do not know him. Okay, let's jump back to Pentecost and the fact that it was a sign of first fruits. This is significant on so many counts. First of all, one of the reasons the gospel is good news is that it's not only about conquering death, which is what Jesus did, it is also about living life differently. It's about union between God and people. And in Acts 2, that's where we see that union taking place, the Spirit of God coming to dwell in people. So the good news is that life can be lived on a different level in a relationship with God and having his power of his Holy Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God lived in what was called the Ark of the Covenant, and people would have to physically carry it around. Now, for seven and a half years, we had to set up and tear down in a rental space. Can you imagine, Verardo family, if we were like, hey, guys, every Sunday we need you to take the Ark of the Covenant home and then bring it back, because that's where the Spirit of God is. Please don't forget the Ark of the Covenant when you come on Sunday mornings. It was a big deal. When the Ark of the Covenant was not in the midst, the Spirit of God was not there. We don't have to do that anymore. The Spirit of God in Acts 2 came to earth to indwell his people. That was the first fruit of the gospel. It was a de a, like a deposit, so to speak, to prove that the Spirit of God was in his people. Acts 2.14 is um, Church 2.14's namesake. You know this. I feel like I say this every message. But Peter is stepping forward to start preaching the gospel. 
This is the birthplace of the church. The reason there were so many people in Jerusalem that day, thousands and thousands of people that did not live there, was because of Pentecost. They were there to celebrate. They didn't want to miss out. And so the reason all these languages are represented when Peter gets up to preach the gospel is because there's a celebration happening. And then Acts 2.40 tells us that that day, as the gospel was preached, 3,000 people accepted life in Jesus, accepted the news that Jesus was their Savior. That's significant as a preacher. I have never had 3,000 people respond to an altar call. That would be wonderful. (laughs) But then on Pentecost Sunday, the disciples of Jesus go public and history has changed. You know, you might be sitting here today and you're not really the church-going type and you're like Pentecost whatever. Pentecost Sunday changed the trajectory of history and is affecting your life whether you know it or not. Because the people sitting next to you, our lives have been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit that happened that day. You know, I would just want to encourage you that many of you are here today because God wants to change your spirit. You might believe in God. You might even know Jesus. But it feels like you've sort of left the idea of Holy Spirit on the shelf because it's so unknown to you. And it's scary to you. Or maybe only people that are weird are those that claim to know Jesus and you want nothing to do with that. I deeply hope that today in this place you experience a positive understanding of who God's spirit is because it will change your life. Those disciples walked with Jesus for three years face to face and he had to leave them in order for his spirit to come and be with them. So I think many of us have walked with Jesus for a lot of years, but we are still waiting on the spirit of God to infill us and indwell us because we're afraid of it. We're afraid we don't know how to steward it And so we're just leaving it tucked away. Last week, I was, um, my sister Heather said, why don't you drop the kids off to me and you can go home and message prep, which is awesome. When you have three kids and you're carving out time in your week to prepare a message, like you really need to be able to hear from God and not, you know, just hear like, can we watch a movie? Can I shoot my bow? Can I have a sippy cup? Can I have a special drink? Can I have a snack? Like, it's hard to be a mom and prepare a message. And so I was like, yes, thank you. That's wonderful. So I dropped them off, and I was going to jet home and get a few hours of study in uninterrupted. And I drive out of Heather's Street, turn right to go home, and the Spirit of God said to me, go to Target. I was like, Lord, I don't think my husband would approve of this. And I was like, Lord, you know, I'm actually heading home to prepare a message about you, actually. And um, I sort of need all of this time that Heather has my kids. I don't really have time to go to Target. And um, again, I mentioned I'm a little sassy with the Lord sometimes. I'm a work in progress. And as soon as I got done talking back to the Spirit, he said to me, go to Target now. And so I turned my car around and I went to Target. And I thought, okay, well, I'll be productive. Atlas's party is coming up. I'll just jet in and grab the laser guns for his birthday that Holly said he wants. And I will jet out and I'll go home and prepare this message on the Holy Spirit. 
Like, because, I mean, we need this to be convicting, you know. And so I, I walk through the door, and he immediately says, get a coffee. Okay, Lord, I will suffer for you at Starbucks. <laughs> and so I go to the counter. No one's in line. That never happens. And I was like, hey, hi, can I get a nice coffee? Do you guys have that sweet vanilla cream foam stuff, you know, that? She's like, yeah, we do. Uh, great. Top that up. We'll be good to go. She says, okay. Do you go to church 214? <laughs> and I was like, no, shirt doesn't say it. I said, I do, in fact. She says, yeah, I thought so. Um, my mom goes to your church. You know, and this darling, precious girl and I had this brief chat for a couple minutes there at Starbucks. And the whole time we were talking, all I could think was, I see what you did there, Holy Spirit. I see what you did there. You know, and I got to invite that girl to church. And I believe someday she will walk in the doors of this church building because the Holy Spirit told me to go get a Starbucks at Target. And I only bought laser guns that day and one coffee. That is a miracle to go in and buy only what you went in for. <laughs> but, you know, this is the thing. To my knowledge, I don't think I made that interaction weird with her. I don't think I was like that weird old lady in my church that I was like, you are scary. I didn't preach the gospel to her this time. I didn't tell her Jesus loved her. I just ordered a coffee. And the Holy Spirit asked her about my church. And, and that's what I want you to know. Like, following the commands of the Holy Spirit in your life on a daily basis does not have to be weird. It does not have to be awkward for you or the person that he is asking you to speak into. It can just be an ordinary trip to Starbucks. And it might be about a barista. You know, I mean, I think it's about you too today, but I think it was mostly about her in that moment. And so I've been praying for her. I've been praying that at some point that sweet soul will walk through these doors and experience the love of Jesus. Because um, I actually don't know if she knows Jesus or not. But I know that she probably needs a church family to love on her. So that's just a really simple example of how Jesus speaks to me. And I wanted to encourage you, because I believe the Spirit of God speaks to you too. I think sometimes you just think they're your own thoughts. And you don't know the significance that you're in a conversation with the Spirit of God. That's a real big deal. You know, if every single time you think the Holy Spirit is at work... If the atmosphere is weird and awkward, I would caution you that might not be the Spirit of God. Because the enemy of God knows how to masquerade and pretend that he is powerful like God. He's done it since Adam and Eve were in the garden. So just be cautious. If there's this awkward tension all the time that people talk about Holy Spirit, they might not be representing him properly. Okay? A few years ago, Heather will remember this, Heather gave me a plant for my birthday. Now, show of hands, men in the house, how many of your wives have become plant moms in the last few years? It's a whole thing. Ryan, raise your hand, bro. I know that you are lying right now. 
It's a whole thing right now. Owning plants, it's like a badge of honor. If you don't own plants, you are probably not familiar with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but Heather gives me this cute little baby plant, and I thought it was so precious and darling, and um, I didn't know what to do uh, raising a plant. I was just raising babies, and so I thought, well, this shelf over here needs something aesthetically pleasing, and so I took it home, and I put my baby shelf on this, my, my baby plant on this shelf, um, shaded by the other shelf. And it looked really cute for a couple weeks. And then it started to die and wilt. And I started to feel really bad about my plant parenting. And I started to notice that other people around me were seemingly much better plant parents than I was. And I started to feel bad about it. And so one day, I was spending quality time on social media. And um, I noticed my cousin had a story about being a great plant parent. I thought, well, this is good. I need this information. And so I watched it, and I took some notes of things that I could do to help my plant grow. And I noticed that he mentioned my exact plant. I don't know what it's called, but he mentioned the plant, and he said, this particular plant is a sun seeker. And I was like, that's my problem. So I went over to the shelf, and I pulled my plant off, and I went and I set it on the windowsill of my kitchen where the sun came in almost all day long, it felt like. And do you know what happened? That plant began to grow suddenly. Like overnight, it rapidly began to grow. The wilting of that plant left. It began to thrive and become this vibrant, incredible life. You know, and here I was thinking... I was this terrible plant person. I mean, I found out that my sister talked to her plants. <laughs> I am not there yet. <laughs> but I think many of us view the idea of the Holy Spirit the way I view these people that were plant parents. Like, oh, I don't know about that. Like, I don't know how to keep them alive. I don't know what they're called. I don't know if I need to like repot them or give them fresh soil or if I put them in the shade or the sun. And so it felt easier to just not be a plant parent, right? But when I realized if I just got a little bit of information from a source of someone who knew what they were talking about, someone who was giving me the right information about the plant, and then I implemented the instructions he gave me my plant began to grow. And that baby plant became this beauty, this huge plant that's almost ready to overgrow its little table that it sits on in the sunlight of my house. And you know what? I, I'm not a perfect plant parent. I, I don't know everything there is to know about plants, but you know that this is no longer my only plant? Like I have plants throughout my entire house now. And I've learned that some of them need the shade and some of them need the sun and some of them need one ice cube a month to be watered while others need a glassful a week to be watered. And I'm feeling much better about parenting my plants these days because I just got to know a little bit of information about being a plant mom. And I think a lot of you are sitting in that space about Holy Spirit. You're just afraid you're gonna mess it up you don't know how to help it grow in your life. 
And so you're like, eh, I'm going to pass on this little phase. Maybe Holy Spirit trend will go away. He's not going away. He's hanging out until the Son of Man comes back a second time to restore us all to true redemption. And so when we set our fear and our preconceived ideas about God's Spirit aside and we begin to let it grow within us, we produce incredible life. And it becomes visible to people around us that we are growing in the gifts that God gives his people. We talked about the first fruits. The first fruits that show people that the Spirit of God is within us are the gifts that Holy Spirit gives us, the fruits of his Spirit. This was not planned, but it was read over the kids this morning. Galatians 5.22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the first fruits of Holy Spirit being in your life. And if you hear that and you think, yeah, I've got like two of those, don't beat yourself up. Don't be like, I am such a bad Christian because I only have two plants in my house and Heather has 17. She sings to her plants. No, you go, God, I think you've given me the gift of kindness. I think I have the first fruit of kindness. Thank you for that. God, I think that I'm struggling with self-control. Holy Spirit, would you increase my understanding of how to produce self-control in my life and you let God grow self-control within you? God, I'm struggling to love people. Will you give the first fruit of your spirit in the form of love to me for your people? Show me how to grow love within me and the Holy Spirit will show up for you. He will grow love in you. He will grow kindness in you. He will grow gentleness or faithfulness or self-control into you, whatever it is that you are needing. Because like my daughter with her hand out the window, you have the ability to access the hand of God, to feel it. And some of you are sitting there and you're like, yeah, I, I know Heidi, but like you're a pastor and you've walked with God forever and I'm just a student or I'm just a business person. I don't know much about this. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. Pick up the word of God and just start reading about who God is and then ask him to download his first fruits into you and he will change you from the inside out. Those disciples that began speaking in other languages did not learn that language. You do not need to sit in church for 10 decades before you know the language of God. It is available to you right now, right here. I think many times we go through seasons of spiritual death because we have neglected to allow God's spirit to grow in us. Like my plant that was tucked away in the shade of a shelf. Tucked away, you've tucked God away. And today is your day of awakening. Today is the day you humble yourself and you say, God, I've been living the last 10 years pretending like I knew it all and I could do it all. But you know what? I feel spiritually dead on the inside and I am going to move my life from the shade of the shelf and I'm going to get right in the center of your will. And it might start with humbling yourself right up here at this altar as the band plays this closing song. It might mean turning to the person that brought you or that you met here and saying, I want to know God. That's what this walk with Jesus looks like. 
It's one tiny step. You don't have to become proficient in caring for every single fruit of the Spirit. You don't have to go home and buy 10 plant babies to prove that God's going to grow in you. You start right where you're at, and you work with the one thing he's given you, and you water it, and you let God grow it in your life. He will do that. The very last thought I want to leave you this is um, the idea of a namesake. I mentioned that Church 214 is named after God's word, Acts 214. And it's that we're named directly after scripture, which is so significant. Because when you're named after somebody, you tend to take on some of their qualities, whether you know it or not. You take on some of their qualities and their traits. But you know that the passage leading up that I read to you, Acts 2, 1 through 13, is our lineage, Church 214's heritage of our name. And the significance there is that is when the Holy Spirit was coming to prove to humans that he was who he said he was. And so Church 214, we are all like, yes, let's step forward and share the gospel and love people and help people grow. But the the verses leading right up to that are the people of God experiencing the infilling of the Holy Spirit in a way that caused 3,000 people in a day to turn to Jesus. And so I believe it is time for us to start claiming those traits and first fruits from Jesus, from his spirit, saying, God, I'm going to take the out of the equation and I'm going to allow you to penetrate my life and my heart. And I want to start today. This word is for the believers in Jesus today. Go ahead and get on your feet. Let's pray. Lord God, we do not want to be a pile of old, dry bones. Father, in Ezekiel, you caused a great army to rise up and to create this miracle that showed that you had the power of life. Jesus, I pray that you would look upon this group of people, this great army, and that you would begin to allow these dry bones, those of us in here in this place today who need a fresh infilling of your spirit to begin to come to life. God, that this rattling noise that we read about in the scripture where the bones are coming together and flesh is forming. Lord, we pray for tender hearts in this moment. God, whatever you wanna do in this season of our lives, in each and every person, God, would you do it right now? We know that we're not promised tomorrow, We know that life is fragile. And Jesus, we want to fulfill everything you have for us. So I pray that in a way only you can do, Holy Spirit, when no one else can reach us, you find us. You find the one sitting here today whose heart has been far from you. You find the one who has wanted to come back for you, but can't figure out the right words to admit that they need you. Would you break through that insecurity and speak to them in the name of Jesus? Father, I thank you for the believers in this room. I pray that we would experience your Holy Spirit anointing in a new way. God, that people who have been on the sidelines of watching your spirit work and move would step into the game and they would begin to experience firsthand your voice speaking to them, your spirit prompting them, the details of life being aligned by you. Jesus, we want to be a part of the move that you are doing. 
We don't want to back down from it. We don't want it to be a passing phase. We do not want to stand in your presence and hear that we missed what you had for us. So I pray that as this song plays, Jesus, whatever you need to do in every one of our hearts, you would do right now in a way that only you can do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.